Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Well, good morning, everybody. It's time for children's Bible hour and toddle time in the nursery. So let's see. We've I'm not talking about an ex in a romantic relationship. I'm not talking about that team that you cheer against on Saturdays or Sundays or some other time of the week. I'm talking about your true enemy, the one who is waging war on your soul, the one who wants to steal the joy, rob you of your peace, take away your salvation, and pull you away from God. Do you know who your enemy is? Last week, if you were here or if you watched the sermon, participated in online worship, then you know that we talked about the devil, the evil one. And what we said is the devil is real. He's not just a concept. He's not a cartoon. He is real. And more than anything else, he wants to spread death and destruction. That is his end goal. And to do that, he uses deception. He uses lies. He wants you to believe lies about yourself, about God, about life, about others, about him, about so many things in this world. So that if you believe those lies, you will begin to live out those lies. And as you live out those lies, as you act on those deceptive thoughts, then you are being pulled away from truth, of course. And you're being pulled away from the one who is truth, and that is Jesus. That is Satan's plan. He is your enemy, but we also have other enemies, don't we? And one of those we need to talk about today, a true enemy in this spiritual struggle, this battle that we find ourselves in each and every day. And I have this little video clip that may best illustrate who this enemy is. This clip is of a, uh, a boxing fight. One of the fighters is named Tyson Fury. And he has a mean uppercut. In fact, this uppercut has enabled him to win many fights. But on this particular fight, it almost cost him dearly. And in case you miss it in the first time, this video shows it over again in slow motion and repeats it again and again. So watch this video. There it was. Here it comes in slow-mo. Right there, uppercut. Didn't make contact. There it is. <laughs> and let's see it from a different angle. There it is, yes. You ever had a day like that? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I don't even know how the judges score that. I mean, boy, he made good contact, but it was with himself. I don't know. You know, sometimes we are our worst enemy, aren't we? Self-inflicted wounds can be so devastating. And as we think about spiritual warfare, we need to talk about the battle within. Our battle with self. And to be clear, it's not self in the sense of, yeah, we stumbled and we tripped and we fell and we punched ourselves or we made a little bit of a mistake or I mean probably some of those things are related to what we're talking about but we're talking about something deeper something much more profound something so much more dangerous and that is the flesh 
the flesh. That's how the Bible describes it. The Greek word is sarks. Most English translations of the New Testament use this word, the flesh, to translate sarks. Especially as of late. It used to be translated sinful nature in some versions, but really it's more accurate to say the flesh because that's what we're talking about. And like in English, sometimes in Greek, words can mean multiple things and and still be related to each other. And so this word sarks or flesh can mean the actual physical human body. In fact, in Ephesians 6 verse 12, when Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, this is the word that's used there. He says our struggle is against the rulers and authorities and powers. Well, what's he talking about when he says flesh and blood? He's talking about our, our struggle is not with the human body, not with the physical, the tangible, uh, the, the people that we think sometimes are our enemies. But that word can also be used in, in more of a uh, symbolic sense, uh, a metaphorical sense. The New Testament texts that talk about uh, marriage, the you know, man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife and the two become what? One flesh. It's that same word. It can also be used in a spiritual sense, especially to, um, to convey this, this confidence that some, especially in the Jewish faith and lineage, had in their own identity and their own ability to keep the law within their own personal experience, their own body. And so in Philippians 3 verse 3, Paul uses this word when he talks about circumcision and he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. But there's also another meaning. And we all know it because we are all confronted with it daily. The flesh, the sarks, those primal desires and drives for self-gratification. The voice inside your head that says, you want this, you need this, just do it those impulses and urges, especially those that propel us toward sin. It's what Scott McKnight describes as the residue of Adam in us until we and as we await the final kingdom of God. You see, from the very beginning, Sarks was sacred. It was sacred in the garden, but then the fall broke us. Sin ignited within, it, within us a passion for self-gratification that burns like a wildfire in all of us and in our world today. Follow your heart is the message we hear. Live your truth. Be true to yourself. And as one well-known celebrity who'd been caught in a scandal said many years ago, the heart wants what the heart wants. But we know this, what the heart wants and what the flesh desires isn't always what God wants. And what the Spirit desires. Listen to how Paul describes life before Christ. And as he identifies what life is like without Jesus, without the power of God through Jesus and through his Spirit, notice who he says our enemies are. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul says, here's your enemies. 
And he says all three of our primary enemies right here in this short text. He says the world is our enemy. He says you followed the ways of this world. He says the devil is our enemy. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. This this spirit that is dragging us away from God. And he says the flesh. Apart from Christ, before Christ, you were focused on gratifying the cravings of your flesh. Do you realize that you are in a constant daily battle with you? Benjamin Franklin once said, We stand at the crossroads each minute, each hour, each day making choices. We choose the thoughts we allow ourselves to think, the passions we allow ourselves to feel, and the actions we allow ourselves to perform. Each choice is made in the context of whatever value system we've selected to govern our lives. In selecting that value system, we are, in a very real way, making the most important choice we will ever make. By the way, I, I often quote different sources when I preach. Philosophers, authors, books, movies, sometimes even celebrities or entertainers. Here I'm quoting Benjamin Franklin. Throughout this series, we've quoted John Mark Comer because his his book gives such a good framework for this series. But I want you to know, and I, and I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, I don't necessarily agree with, with everything the people I quote do or say. A quotation is not an endorsement. I believe there are elements of truth to be found everywhere. There are elements of truth to be discovered. There are concepts and ideas to be explored everywhere. And see, our ultimate authority is Scripture, And so everything we come across, everything we hear, everything we read, everything we see, we hold it up to Scripture. And Scripture gives the light of truth and illuminates truth in our world. And I think by doing that, by exploring the world, by looking for truth, by holding it up to Scripture, we develop a sense of spiritual discernment. How will we ever be discerning if we never apply truth to our world? If we never read, if we never listen, if we never explore and take what we see, take what we experience and hold it up to the truth of God's word. Disclaimer over. Benjamin Franklin says, and I agree, that we have something inside of us. We decide on what that is. It's our value system. What we say is right and wrong. What we say is important. You are making choices every day as to what you value. And maybe you grew up in a home, and that home and that family said, these are the things that are important to us. And maybe they didn't just outwardly say that, but you knew it because it rubbed off on you. You could see it. It was a part of life. That's how, as he says, decisions are made. Actions are done. Behaviors come from somewhere. They come from this value system. And whether or not you know it, you are making decisions daily on what that value system is. You are confirming those values, or you are exchanging those values for other values. Why is that important? Because it is from that value system that you live your life, that you talk, that you act, that you behave. It's how you, it informs how you treat other people. It informs how you do your, your work, your vocation, your job. It informs what you pursue in life. So the question then becomes, what is at the core of your character? What is that value system? What is it you have and are deciding on that becomes foundational 
to how you live your lives. As we look around our world, I think the, the answer is pretty clear. So many times, the answer is self. It's, it's us. It's me that is at the center of my being. My desires, my goals, my ambitions, my fears. All of those things that define me. All of those things that I want to be defined by. All those things that I am pursuing. The flesh. But even, and this is important, even when we say, no, that's not what is at the core of my character. What is at the very foundation of my life is the word of God and my faith in God. And the way of Jesus, we know that even when we say that, there is a stronger force at work sometimes, isn't there? There's a stronger force that bullies that value system out of the way and seems to just take over. We are caught in the middle of this battle of wills, this tug of war of desires. It was the Apostle Paul, who we hold in high esteem, who famously confessed in Romans chapter 7, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Could that phrase, could that statement have been lifted from your personal journal this morning, today, last week, times in your life, you say, I want to do what's right. My value system says I love God and I want to love other people, but you know what? That thing gets shoved to the side and then self takes over sometimes. And it's like the voice of the flesh is so much more powerful, so much more influential than what seems like sometimes the gentle whisper of God within me. Paul spends a lot of time, a lot of time in Scripture explaining the struggle and contrasting life according to the flesh and life in the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. In Romans chapter 8, he offers a bit of commentary on the sarks, on the flesh. So after a brief explanation of how Christ came in the sarks, in the flesh, to deliver us from our sinful flesh, Paul then reminds us that we do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, verse 4 of chapter 8. He said there's two different ways to live. Okay, what's the difference, Paul? Continue in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to, to God. And it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We've already said that the battleground for this spiritual struggle is where? It's in our minds. Sometimes what the New Testament calls our hearts, the center of our being. Where we process, where we make decisions. And Paul doubles down on that idea here in Romans chapter 8. How do you know if you're living according to the flesh? How do you know if the voice of self-gratification is crowding out or drowning out the voice of the Spirit? Paul says right there, your mind is set on what the flesh desires. Your mind is set on what the flesh desires. Your thoughts are tuned into the frequency of the flesh. You want what the heart wants. 
You want to live your truth. You want to do what you want to do. You want to pursue selfish ambitions and gratify selfish desires. You are impulsive and reactionary. You are the reason you do what you do. Even if, and we get good at this, even if from the outside it appears as what you're doing is altruistic and good, your flesh becomes the governing force in your life. Paul explains this in one of his other letters as well. We'll get to this passage in our, in our Bible classes soon. Galatians 5, he says this in verse 19, When you follow the, the desires of your flesh, or your versions might say sinful nature, when you follow desires of your flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, you want to know what what living according to the flesh looks like? Here are some of the evidences. Here are some of the fruits of that kind of life. And I want you to notice, if you have your text open, I want you to notice, or if you remember what we just read, it's not just those big, ugly, blatant sins. Those ones where we think, yeah, that is definitely life according to the flesh. But what else does he say? Not just those big, ugly, blatant sins, but those more socially acceptable sins. How about idolatry? Now, we don't call it that today. But do you ever struggle bowing down to idols? Placing things at the forefront of your life, on the throne room of your heart that really don't belong there? Pursuing, sacrificing for things that really aren't that important? What about hostility? Well, you wouldn't lump that one with some of these others, would you? Hostility? How about jealousy? Angry outbursts? Selfish ambition? Our society rewards ambition. Especially ambition that is channeled toward success and making a name for yourself. How about dissension? Division? Envy? So many of these things are socially acceptable. And Paul says, no, what they are, they are acts of the flesh. They are living life tuned in to the voice of what the flesh, what self says you need and what you want and what you deserve. You see, when a person or even when a society is given over to the flesh, then as David Wells writes, this is what happens. Listen to this. The biblical interest in righteousness is replaced with a search for happiness. Holiness by wholeness. Truth by feeling ethics by feeling good about oneself the world shrinks to the range of personal circumstances the community of faith shrinks to a circle of personal friends you see everything's personal the past recedes the church recedes the world recedes all that remains is the self that's so true all that remains is the self And when self is placed on the pinnacle of human existence, it becomes the guiding force in our lives. That's a lot, isn't it? And if you're like me, you read that and you think, man, I just had my 
toes stomped on and I'm kind of discouraged and where's the hope in this message today? We came here to be filled with hope and joy. Well, we may be at the bottom of the valley, but we're going to come back up because Paul does the same thing. Paul says, that's not the life that God made you to live. You aren't destined to a life that is obedient to the flesh. There is another force at work in the world, in your life. Paul presents the alternative, a contrast to the flesh. Back in Romans chapter 8, he explains that Jesus has delivered us from being slaves to the flesh. Back in Romans 8, look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. That's not who you are. That's not the life God has for you. But you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You see the contrast there? Two different paths, two different ways of life, two different outcomes. And Paul says, this isn't who you are. You don't have to answer to the flesh. You aren't meant to live in the realm of the flesh. Yes, you wear flesh. You have a body. But you don't have to surrender your will to its will. God has a higher calling on your life. You belong in the realm of the Spirit. So let His presence in your life silence the voice of self. Allow the Spirit to be your governing influence. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you received when you were baptized into Christ. Here's what I want you to realize today from from the biblical text. Here's the takeaway. If you don't kill the flesh, it's going to kill you. That sounds overly dramatic, I get it, I know. But that's exactly what the text says. If you let the flesh continue to to have air in its lungs, you might say. If you continue to let the flesh within you live and breathe and have some sense of influence, you know what's going to happen? It's going to grow. And as it grows and becomes louder and more influential, the world around you, and you will surround yourself with parts of the world around you that will affirm that voice within you. And it will be normalized in a world that doesn't hold up Christ as Lord, but holds up self at the center of everything. That message will be confirmed and validated in you, and you will feel empowered and entitled to live for self. And Paul says, when you do that, it will lead to death, to separation from God. If you don't kill the flesh, it's going to kill you. That's what what verse 13 says. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Or you will put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. It's interesting that the word for spirit in the New Testament, pneuma, also can be translated as breath. You see, there is life in breath. Breath is needed for life. When we let the flesh live and breathe within us, it gains life and it suffocates the spirit. But when we let the breath of the spirit of God, the presence and the power of God within us to live, to breathe, then it becomes the guiding force. 
I'll always remember when we used to go to Mexico on that spring break mission trip. So many of our college students loved that trip. So many of us were blessed to be a part of that trip back in the day. And if you ever went on that trip, or maybe even if you heard and talked to others who went on that trip, you know that there was always the tradition of the story of the valley. Our former missionary, Umberto Hernandez, would tell the story about how the gospel first entered into that remote area of the mountains, rural area, these villages up there. God had put on Umberto's heart to go up there, and back then there weren't even roads to go, and so he had to ride horses and donkeys and haul things in. But he went in there, and he began to teach, and he began to open up the word of God. And he would make trips back, and one, one of his trips back, Jose, the patriarch of the entire village, which much many of them were related to him, he was truly, literally, the patriarch of the village, he said to Umberto, Come here, I need to show you something. And they walked behind his house, and behind his house there was a huge hole that Jose had dug in the ground, and he said, this is where I'm going to be buried. And if I remember the story correctly, Umberto's thinking, okay, why are you showing me a hole in the ground that when you die, that's where you want to be buried? You need to tell your family that, tell someone else that. And Jose is like, no, that's not where I'm, my body's going to be buried after I die. We're going to fill that with water. That's where I'm going to be buried. That's where I'm going to be baptized. You see, that's in many respects what baptism is. If you are a Christian, then at your baptism, we had a funeral for your flesh. You died to self. We buried it. And God raised you up and breathed new life into you by giving you the Holy Spirit, His presence, His power. Here's the problem. That flesh is hard to kill, isn't it? Until God ultimately redeems and restores us and all things and makes us new, the flesh still has some life in it. And truth be told, if we're honest, sometimes there's a part of us that doesn't want it to completely die. We don't want to attend that funeral because there's a part of us that likes it that needs it, that finds our identity in it, that keeps it around because it offers things that we think are good and pleasurable, those things that point us toward pleasure and gluttony and lust and pride and self-importance and materialism and self-indulgence. Why would we completely kill those things? Those things make us feel And the message we constantly hear, the message that is continually reinforced, is to indulge self. Don't deny self. In fact, the message and the myth that we battle daily is this. Any denial of self is an inauthentic act of oppression against your true self. That phrase, true self, is very popular right now. You live your truth, be your true self, your authentic self. And so anything that might redirect feelings, anything that might repress primal desires, anything that might refuse instinctive urges or sacrificing self, these things are seen as denying who you really are, who you're meant to be, your authentic self. Why would you do that? 
And then Jesus comes along. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, here's what you need to do. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You want to be my disciple? You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. When the world says, when that inner voice says, don't deny yourself. Hold yourself up. Indulge yourself. Live your truth. What does Jesus say? He says, deny yourself. Here's the challenge. We realize that dying to self is often a long, difficult, painful death. We may have the funeral at baptism, but because we are still on this side of glory, the flesh still has some life in it. It's not dead yet. So what do we do? Well, the natural thing to think we should do is just try harder. But please understand, this is not about willpower alone. Willpower will fall painfully short of silencing the voice of the flesh within you. If it were just about willpower, Paul would say, hey, try harder, work harder, dig deeper. But he doesn't. What does he say? What does Paul say? He says, live in the realm of the Spirit. Lean on the presence and the power of God. Scripture rarely talks about the trappings of the flesh without talking about the giftedness of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, that long list I read that we kind of went through, those gross sins, but also those socially acceptable sins that are also gross. Do you know what happens right after that text in Galatians 5? Paul says, these are the acts of the flesh. Ugh. But then he says, but this is the fruit of the what? The Spirit. While these dark things, these shadowy things, are the fruit of a life lived, yielding to the flesh, when a life is lived, yielding, surrendered to the Spirit, then this is the fruit of that life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And sometimes we read those things and we go, okay, that's my to-do list. i got to try harder to be patient. And, and that's good. We should. But we will fall short until we completely surrender ourselves to the indwelling of the Spirit that provides guidance and power. That can lead us down the path of peace and love and joy. And so, yes, try harder, but more than that, surrender everything to the Spirit. The only way to overcome the destructive influence of the flesh is to rely on the power of the Spirit. God's Spirit in you is working on you. And in this daily struggle, there can be, there can be setbacks or there can be success. The Spirit is working to transform you and if you keep reading in Romans chapter 8, it tells us what the Spirit is transforming us into. Verse 29, more and more into the image of His Son. The Spirit is at work to shape you into the image of Jesus. 
Romans 8 ends with this important question. If God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? And he lists all these things. Can trouble, can hardship, can all of these things be against us? And the answer is no. No one. Nothing. And he concludes with this idea in verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, Anchor your soul deep to that verse. Because you face the battles every day. You face Satan every day. You face the flesh every day. And scripture tells us that those things don't have to win. That you can even conquer those things through him who loves us. And he says nothing can separate his love from us. Nothing. So here's the challenge. Each one of these lessons in this series we try to have some kind of practical challenge here's my challenge for you and for me this week it's it's a pretty simple challenge but I think it could really bring about transformation you ready here it is read Romans 8 daily if you're doing another daily bible reading or you're reading through the bible in a year or you have some other devotional thing going on great keep doing that but see if you can find the time maybe 10 15 maybe 30 minutes just sit with this chapter Romans chapter 8. Many of you, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, if you've been around the Bible very much, as you read, you're going to go like, oh, that's, oh, I know that verse. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. Romans 8 is thick. It is rich with theology. It is good. It is deep. It is profound, as is all of Scripture. But I would just encourage you to read Romans 8 every day. And if you're like me, you're probably sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then you get busy and distracted and you forget. So if you have your phone, take out your phone. I did this just a few minutes ago. Take out your phone and set a reminder, set an alarm. Maybe at a certain time when you know you're more likely to do it. Snooze it once or twice if you have to. But set that alarm. Read Romans 8 and just sit down. Open up the Word of God and pray, God, speak to me in this moment. Read Romans 8, the entire chapter, and just... Don't just read it to read it. Don't just read it even for knowledge. Let the life that is breathed through the Spirit of God enter into you and change you from the inside out. And just see what God does. See what God does this week. See where he leads you. As you face this battle, as you face this struggle, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against things that we often see. It's the flesh within us, the sarks, those primal desires to promote self, to pursue selfish ambition. As you face this battle daily, realize that you are not alone. The Spirit is with you. Lean into the Spirit, the power and the presence of God in your life. And put to death the flesh and enjoy life in peace. If we can encourage you, let us do that. We want to be a community of faith that walks with you. Our shepherds certainly care deeply for you. A couple of them and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little room in the hallway behind the stage area. In just a moment, you can exit and go there if you want to spend a moment with them and ask them to pray for you or you have a, a praise to share or a struggle to share or just want to visit with them for a moment. They're there for you. Or you can come down to the front and we'll 
lift you up in prayer and encourage you as a church family. Maybe today you're ready to bury the flesh. You don't have to dig a hole. We have one already. It's filled with water. It's ready to go. And you can bury the flesh and let God raise you to live a new life with the Spirit in you. To live not like the world lives, not like that voice inside you says you should live, certainly not like the devil says, but following the way of Jesus, honoring God, being transformed more and more into the image of the one you follow. If that's your choice today, don't hesitate. Make that decision. Let's stand and sing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to 